Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cochilillo. And uh, before we get started, I just want to thank my contributors for the show, which is Candice Sanderson. Uh, she's an executive producer. I uh, have Amanda Steele. She's my senior editor. And Damien Keller, binaural beat producer. And if you are interested in becoming a contributor to this show, just go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find a whole bunch of information there. And without further ado, today we have the return of Preston Dennett. He is gonna. We're gonna talk about uh, some new UFO news. Uh, some of you may have heard our previous episode, and it was freaking amazing. We covered a ton of stuff, and it was a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on again, Preston. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um. So, so is there anything new happening in the UFO community? Uh, well, there's always stuff going on. I'm uh, finalizing my speaking engagement at the Laughlin uh, Mega UFO Conference. So that should be oh, fun. Wow. They, uh, I was going to speak about UFOs at the drive-in, but they asked me to speak about my own encounters. Uh-huh. So that should be kind of fun. That's uh, really what cool. Up? Oh, yeah. I just uh, heard from another guy who picked up my book, UFOs at the drive-in, because he had his own encounter. And it was really quite dramatic. He was uh, with his family, and uh, this UFO shows up, <laughs> comes down right next to the screen like they always do. And in this case, it actually affected the film itself. The, the film stopped playing. Hmm. So it looked like the film was burning up. And uh, he was very excited. It wasn't scary for him, though some people did panic and leave the theater. That is um, but- interesting. Right. I'm telling you, it's a thing. (laughs) I've got a hundred cases and uh, still finding more. Uh, I'm guessing there's quite a lot more out there that uh, we haven't heard about. Yeah. I I guess the drive-in is the perfect place for them to reveal themselves to a small group of people that are outside. Right. That's exactly what I think they're doing because here we have a captive audience (laughs) uh, and it's quite a number of people you know average would be what two three hundred and it's a sort of a sneaky way to announce their presence and still slide under the radar uh, without causing major waves in society yeah yeah they reveal themselves to a few people and then you kind of keep it moving exactly it's very much like the schoolyard ufo encounters that i also did a book on yeah yeah, one of my favorites is the the uh, Zimbabwe uh, encounter. I think it was Zimbabwe, it was Africa. That's right. Yeah, and, Aerial uh, Elementary School, uh, November nineteen ninety four. Wow! And not that long ago, I I believe one of the uh, kids that was a witness to it put out a YouTube video. Oh yeah, yeah. Some of the witnesses are still speaking. Emily Trin, uh, Lizelle Field, I think is her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's a really amazing incident. It's probably the ultimate case of this kind, but I have to tell you, it's not unique. Uh, after the book came out, I was contacted by 
Ray Hernandez, another UFO researcher, and he was able to interview a lady from Colombia, of all places, mm -hmm. uh, who had a pretty much identical experience. UFO lands next to the school. Mm -hmm. All the children see it. Some of the teachers saw it. Uh, ETs came out. Messages were given. Uh, trying to pin down an interview, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. The witness is pretty shy about it. Hmm. But it just goes to show that this is something that's taking place all over the world and uh, has been for, well, 70 years at least. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. You know, how they... How, what's, what's amazing is how they're going about it. You know, rather than just disclosing themselves to the entire world and coming out and, and giving the world a message, how they're just doing it piecemeal instead. Yeah, you know, I think they did want to disclose. Um, certainly, this is what the rumors came out from the 1954 Eisenhower uh, meeting at Edwards Air Force Base. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's a yeah. pretty well-known incident, <laughs> uh, which generated a lot of controversy from the very beginning where allegedly President Eisenhower disappeared from view, from the public, from the press. They could not locate him, which is very unusual for a president because we track their movements everywhere. And when he was unable to be contacted, some newspapers actually put out a story saying that he had been killed, uh, that he passed away, which mm -hmm. turned out not to be true. He said it was just an emergency dental appointment. <laughs> Uh, which we now know it's not because researchers have contacted uh, the dentist who he allegedly saw. And no, there's no documentation that he was ever there. Uh, but there is documentation that he was at Edwards. Mm -hmm. And uh, multiple sources, by the way, the more information is continuing to come out about this incident. But what's important here is that the ETs allegedly said that they wanted us to disclose the UFO presence. And uh, the establishment said, no, we don't want to do that. It would upset economy, it would upset religion. Uh, we don't want to disclose. Mm -hmm. And we wanted their technology. And they said, no, you, need, you guys need to spiritually advance some more. You're, you're way too warlike. Uh, you're polluting your own planet. You're messing around with nuclear power. So it was sort of an impasse. And I think that's why the ETs started doing a sort of grassroots movement like you said, going to each person uh, individually or mm -hmm. in small groups, one at a time, and letting them know that we're real, we're here, we're not going away, and uh, it's time that people know that uh, we are not alone in this universe. It's interesting. Ha have you ever talked to Laura Eisenhower? Uh, but yeah, that's an incident. I think we're going to be hear more about it. It was allegedly filmed, by the mm -hmm. way. And that's a film I would like to see. I mean, yeah. the Tic Tac incident was all well and good. <laughs> uh, but I know they've got this film. I know they've got a film of a UFO landing at Edwards because Gordon Cooper saw this happen. Or he didn't mm -hmm. see it happen. He developed the film. Oh, uh, wow. He saw the film. Yeah. So this... You know, I appreciate that we're, we're having some steps towards disclosure. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm a little bit angry about it. It's 
bit disingenuous. Uh, they've got a lot more information than they're saying. And for them to show this film, which is not the best film they have by any means. <laughs> it's like right behind the curtain there. There's the bodies. There's the craft. Right. What are you doing? Show us. What's the big deal? So one of the interviews that I did this month was with Stephen Bassett. And he was telling me that he expects complete disclosure complete disclosure from the U.S. government and Congress within the next two years. Do you think that's a reasonable assumption? Uh, it's, one well, surely speculative, unless he's got some inside information. I know that we're supposed to have a big document dump in a month or two. Mm. Uh, but I've been in this field a long time. And back in the late 1980s, when I got involved in this field, there was rumors of disclosure, and it didn't happen. And every five years, there would be more rumors of disclosure. And it yes. never happened. And here we do have some actual movement in official circles, yes. which hasn't happened for decades. But there's so much UFO information that it would be, I would be really surprised, actually, because it's going to open a can of worms. If they say, okay, full disclosure, we have 200 alien craft, we've got hundreds of bodies, uh, people are going to come out of the woodwork and say, well, guess what? I'm being abducted. Where were you? Why aren't you stopping this? I'm suing the government for not protecting me from these uh, ETs. So I don't know. It's interesting because one of the things that Stephen said is that one of the side effects of the disclosure would be that the aliens would have to stop their abductions. Yeah, I'm not so sure that's going to happen because um, ETs have been contacting people for a very long time. Many of the people I've talked to who have onboard experiences of face-to-face contact, uh, it's been going on for generations. Mm -hmm. And uh, many of them feel like the ETs are their friends, their family. I'm not sure abduction is the most accurate word. Uh, some cases, I think, do reflect a very traumatic and involuntary type of encounter. Uh, but there's that's one side of it. The other side is it's actually benevolent. Mm -hmm. And I'm totally serious about that. I mean, I know that kidnapping is a crime in any country. It's just not right. There's no rational. You can't, I mean, you can't rationalize it. Right. Uh, but on the other hand, people are being healed. I've documented more than 300 cases now of people who have been physically healed as a result of a UFO encounter. Yeah. And when someone's taken on board, yeah, it can be scary. Uh, but more often than not, uh, they are given all kinds of messages. Hmm. Warnings about nuclear proliferation. <laughs> warnings about the use of fossil fuels and pollution and our warlike ways. This does not sound like an unpleasant, hostile experience to me. No. It almost sounds like to me like when a human finds like a wounded animal in the wild, takes it in, heals it, and then releases it back into the wild. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. And a lot of people have raised that, that possibility is exactly what's going on here. Uh, because... We do the same things. I mean, we treat each other worse than the ETs treat us. 
by that i mean like say you get kidnapped here on earth it's probably not going to end well no you know i mean seriously whereas if you are contacted by ets chances are good you're going to be taken to the control room and shown how to fly this craft mm-hmm. um i my recent book onboard ufo encounters that happened to i think three or four of the people or at least two of them got to fly the craft itself wow. Uh, yeah, one lady, Dolly, I'm, I've become great friends with her. and uh, Her whole story was not told. It would take a full book, really, to tell it. But she describes how she was taught how to fly these things. And, and what was that like for her? Like, like, Did they actually have like a control panel, or did they fly these crafts like using like telekinesis? Yeah, I think that would be a more accurate description. There are controls. Um, there's, you know... And little devices like like we might call a crystal ball type thing mm-hmm. uh, but, but not a crystal ball obviously but uh yeah she says it's all very uh involved with consciousness and your ability to uh, experience empathy is crucial if you're, if you're going to be taught how to fly these things you have to be able to connect psychically with the intelligence of the craft mm-hmm. which it, is itself alive that's interesting right yeah many people have told me this that they felt like the ship itself was alive and uh, i always wondered about that and she really kind of nailed it down for me and described it in a very clear way uh what is going on here so it sounds like the ets have mastered some type of technology to create create Organic machinery, uh, like yeah. living organic machinery. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we heard, we're hearing this from some whistleblowers uh, who are talking about uh, crashed UFOs and that have been recovered and reverse engineered, at least to a certain degree. But some of them have actually, you know, were damaged and healed themselves. If they're a, t- a tear in the hull, mm-hmm. it, it, it heals. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, there's definite consciousness to some of these craft that are what we would probably term artificial intelligence. Uh, but they're, they've got a soul. I mean, they are an entity in and of themselves that can communicate, that does have feelings. Uh, and uh, is just, and very old. I mean, ancient compared to you know our meager lifespans. Uh, it so almost we, makes me question whether the ETs are a result of the craft or is the craft a result of the ETs? I wonder like, which one came first. <laughs> uh, the old chicken and the egg. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing that the ETs came first. Um, I, don't, I don't have direct knowledge of that, uh, but as near as we can tell, just from the evidence here on our planet, uh, it's been millennia that they've been around. Mm-hmm. And we... We know this pretty conclusively, judging from hieroglyphs in Egyptian culture, petroglyphs in Native American cultures. Um, the Romans called them flying shields. Uh, so they've been around for a very, very long time. We see them in Renaissance paintings, Middle Age paintings, uh, wood carvings from the Middle Ages. Uh, they've been around forever. <laughs> I'm guessing they were here before us, 
and probably had a hand in our evolution to some extent. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely think the do too. Um, and, and that kind of almost explains like why they was their interest in us to begin with. If they had a hand in our ev- evolution, they wouldn't just have uh, jump started us, you know, into where we are now, and then just leave and abandon us. Right. Well, we have the hybrid baby phenomena. That's mm-hmm. fairly well known in the literature, where uh, greys, in particular, are hybridizing with us to sort of revitalize their species and perhaps revitalize us as well. And I think that's interesting because if you look at ancient writings where humans mated with the gods and this sort of thing and the weird missing links and jumps in evolution uh, could be explained uh, by extraterrestrial intervention. And you're right, they do seem to be very interested in us in all things human. It's not just, you know, being physically examined. Yeah. Uh, They are very interested in our emotions, very interested in all things human. Uh, so I find that actually really encouraging. Uh, and I wonder if we are actually even from this planet. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a best-selling book out now by Ellis Silver called Humans Are Not From Earth. And he creates, a, you know, this is something I've been saying for years. And so I was pretty excited to see his book. And he describes how evolutionarily speaking, we're not really well adapted for this planet. The gravity is a little high. The temperatures are a bit extreme. Uh, we're, we're not as well suited as like many of the animals are. Hmm. So perhaps we aren't from here. And given that there are human looking ETs, ones that look just like us, people call them Nordics. Right. Don't like that term because that sort of says, oh, they're you know from Northern Europe sort yeah. of thing, which is not true. Uh, I've talked to people who've seen not only a blonde-haired and blue-eyed human-looking ETs, but one guy, Stan Hughes, he's a Native American. He had a very interesting encounter up in Idaho where he's driving along in his pickup with his dog. It's early morning, a bright, sunny morning, and he hears this whooshing noise, and boom, this giant spherical object lands in front of him on the road. It's covering the entire length of the road. It's size of a small house and a little opening appears uh, and out steps this beautiful looking man said it was the most handsome man he's ever seen but what i found interesting he says the man's hair was very dark had very dark eyes and his skin was also dark which he likened it to uh, middle eastern mm. uh, he had a blue jumpsuit silver boots and had a very friendly smile and They locked gazes. It was a very benevolent experience. And as soon as this guy looks at him and sort of waves, uh, Stan just felt this incredible wave of longing. and says, take me with you. Uh, He he calls the ETs the Woje, which is the star people, and believes that, as many Native American cultures do, that they are related, that the ETs are their ancestors. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, he's calling, oh, please take me with you. And at that moment, uh, he stopped waving the E.T., his smile dropped, and he turned around and reentered the craft, which took off. 
and uh, Stan felt this incredible wave of sadness just wash over him like water. Hmm. You know, I've, I've had Stan over to my house. I've ha had dinner with him several times. And any times he brings up this story, uh, his eyes just fill, fill with tears. And you can see how profoundly this affected him. Wow. Where do you think like they came from? I do you, think, do you they, think they're from our solar system somewhere outside? Um, you know, we, I don't know. I do believe that they are biological beings, for the most part, beings like us from other planets. I know there's all kinds of explanations to account for UFO origins. People are like, well, they're interdimensional. You know, they can appear and disappear. They can put on any disguise. They put on these weird sort of symbolic shows. Uh, there's good evidence that they can time travel. So people are like, well, maybe they're time travelers from the future. And so people are like, no, they're demonic. They're trickster spirits. They're just trying to fool you. And a lot of these explanations, I mean, you can march out cases to support them. Right. But if you look at the evidence in its totality, I think the explanation which fits best is biological extraterrestrial entities from other planets. And people have asked where they're from. And we usually don't get an answer. They'll, they're often very coy. They'll say something like, oh, it's not important. Or they just won't answer. Or they'll say, we're from a place you don't know about yet. Or you wouldn't understand. It's kind of like what happened to Betty Hill. Yeah. She's looking at that star map. And she's like, where are you from? And the ET, what did he say? He says, well, do you recognize where you're from on this map? And she's like, well, no, I don't. She says, then it wouldn't be any use for me to tell you where we're from. Though it's interesting because, you know, Marjorie Fish uh, mm -hmm. was able to take this map from Betty's memory and pinpoint Zeta Reticula, uh, which was sort of our first clue that maybe some of these guys are from the Zeta Reticula star system. Uh, and that comes up again in a number of independent cases. Are, are there any planets in that in that star system? Uh, I guess that are we call like what we call the Goldilocks zone. I don't know. I, I'm not sure that NASA has really talked about that. Though they have identified a couple of hundred what Earth-like planets. Mm -hmm. uh, so NASA is slowly coming clean. Uh, they said I remember it's three or four years ago that in a few years we're going to have undeniable proof of extraterrestrial life. And I thought, you guys, you, they already have it. They already know. Yeah. They, they found evidence on the moon of un unidentified structures, crashed UFOs, this sort of thing. The evidence for that is act really compelling. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure these ETs come from within our solar system. Uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they come from Earth, honestly, because uh, they've been here a long time. Yeah. Other star systems have been named, including Orion. Mm -hmm. And I find that very interesting because of, you know, the pyramids reflect yeah. that. And uh, like the Great Pyramid, by the way, the Pyramid of Giza, its geographic coordinates, land, latitude and longitude, latitude, is actually the speed of light. Mm -hmm. It's numerically the speed of light. Someone told me that I didn't believe it. I looked it up. It is. It's the same number. Wow. 
So whoever built those encase all kinds of knowledge within them. So yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Orion possibly. Uh, there's been like the Andromeda galaxy mm-hmm. has been named, uh, which to me isn't very helpful. I mean, that's another galaxy. <laughs> Can you pinpoint yeah. it a little bit? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think they can travel interdimensionally. I think they probably can time travel, but that does not preclude them from being extraterrestrial. Right. And, and if you look at the accounts of crashed UFOs, uh, there are eyewitness accounts where people say, well, these things were biological. You know, they were partly eaten by wildlife. They stunk. Uh, they were biological beings as we would think of them. Interesting. So, yeah, I think they're very much like us, but different. Do you ever wonder why, if they're so technically advanced, why they crash? Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of people uh, poo-poo the whole UFO crash phenomenon because they're like, oh, they're way too advanced. They would never crash. But I think there's a couple of reasons. Uh, way back in you know the late 1940s and 1950s, there's some indication that our radar systems were interfering with their navigation systems. Mm-hmm. And this is supposedly one of the explanations for the Roswell crash. And uh, I think the fact is they're not, nobody's perfect. You know, th- accidents do happen. Yeah. And I think the real reason, honestly, is that they're out there in very large numbers. And the reason I say that is, you know, pe- people think of UFO sightings as being pretty rare. Mm-hmm. Because you can't just go outside and see a UFO any day, right? You can't just right. go outside and like, hey, there's one right now. But if you look at MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, and NUFORC, the National UFO Reporting Center, which are the two main ones in the U.S., they get multiple reports daily, a dozen. Uh, so I know from personal experience that maybe one in, I'll say one in 10, it's probably closer to one in 100 uh, <laughs> people report their encounter in any capacity to Uh police or anything so if they're getting 20 reports a day well it's times that by 10 it's 200 Mm -hmm. right right you could easily times that by considerably more than that so if there's 200 ufo sightings daily i mean right now someone is seeing a ufo right now someone's being abducted they are out there in very large numbers our universe is not empty by any means it is an extraterrestrial parade out there. And I think more evidence speaking towards that is how many encounters we get with sort of unique entities. Okay. You know so, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's kind of like, like statistically, like chances are if you drive a car for 50 years, you're going to get in an accident. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so if you have statistically that many UFOs or flying saucers flying around, in our, in, within our atmosphere, a certain number of them are going to crash. Right. And we also have to remember the possibility that some of these aren't crashing, as we would think of it. They are being shot down. Uh, there's some evidence speaking towards that, that some of these craft have been shot down using particle beam weapons or lasers, perhaps, something along those lines. By us. By us and the military and uh, other governments. So that's a possibility. And another thing that some people have raised, some researchers who I thought was a really insightful uh, 
perception is that uh, perhaps these crashes are not crashes really at all. They're more like gifts. They, maybe they just drop some of these things down on purpose and allow us to recover them. Because, you know, the reason I say that is, look how advanced these guys are. I mean, they're abducting people out of hotel rooms, mm-hmm. out of crowded condos, from moving cars, from just about anywhere. I mean, people have been abducted out of New York City. Well, one, yeah, Bud Hopkins has a case where a lady was abducted out of a sidewalk cafe uh-huh. in the heart of New York City. Uh, he has another case where a lady saw a gray on a subway. So these guys are very advanced. And if they wanted to, I feel like they could probably just shut down the neighborhood where a UFO crashed and scoop that thing up. Uh, I'm speculating, so I can't, obviously can't be sure. But a number of researchers have said, you know what? <laughs> like, particularly, I think it was the Paradise Valley crash in Arizona in 1954. That perhaps that was a gift and some of them have were not damaged hardly at all uh, but i don't know like the aztec ufo crash that one was almost fully intact the mm-hmm. only damage they found was a little pinhole in one of the portholes which could have been a meteor you know so these sort of things could happen and that's apparently what happened in that case there was explosive decompression all the bodies were burned and uh, otherwise, the craft itself, though, was largely intact. Huh. Where do you think they keep them, the crafts? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I mean, they, they, they can't all be at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. No. They, after Wright-Patterson filled up, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, a, a number of Air Force bases have been implicated uh, in this sort of thing. Uh, certainly, Wright-Patterson is the main one, but there's Area 51, yeah. and it's not not just Bob Lazar saying this. And, of course, Edwards Air Force Base, mm-hmm. uh, Norton Air Force Base. Uh, there was a ge- General John Alexander, I think is his name. I'd have to look that up, but I think that's right. Said he was given permission by his superiors to discuss the fact that there are... Uh, extraterrestrial craft or reverse engineered craft being held at Norton Air Force Base. And uh, there are a couple of other eyewitness accounts uh, implicating Norton Air Force Base here in California. I'm guessing that there's a lot of Air Force bases across the United States and for that matter the world where these craft and these bodies are being held and studied and reverse engineered to the best of our ability, which apparently isn't all that good. <laughs> I, there's, uh, according to you know, if you some of these eyewitness accounts, uh, these whistleblower accounts, right. there's craft we haven't even been able to open. We can't enter them. Yeah, and there's some we go inside, and there's like no engine. I heard it's, that too. So how would you explain that? Well, Dolly, you know, the lady I interviewed in my book on board your phone counters, talks about that and how these craft are uh, flown through sort of psychic means. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot to learn. I do think probably some of our technology has been taken from various craft. Colonel Corso, you know, he said that, that the Roswell was responsible for, what, 
vision goggles and the integrated circuit and fiber right. optics and so on. Uh, Kevlar, which, mm -hmm. which may be true. If you look at these inventions and you track them back, uh, there's no evidence that directly ties them to extraterrestrial hardware. Yeah. But Corso had an answer for that. He said, we were very careful mm -hmm. to sort of bleed this into there without the people knowing. That's what got me into this whole topic to begin with. Uh, back in the 90s, I was working at Bell Labs, and I was upgrading computers. And back then, I still smoked, and I was outside smoking a cigarette. And some guy asked me what I was doing there, and I told him. And, and he was pretty old. He was just an older gentleman. I guess at that time, he was probably close to 80. And he had told me, he goes, well, do you know where the uh, silicone chips came from? I was like, oh, oh, oh. California, you know, and he goes, oh, we came from, uh, you know, he goes, I used to work for NASA and we were reverse engineered the crafts, you know, that recovered UFOs. And he actually told me this, like, it's like just in a casual conversation. And, uh, and he was also at that time working on fiber optics. That's why he was at Bell Labs. And, ah. um. And I didn't believe him. I, I I just didn't believe him. And then it was like not until later on when I heard Bob Lazar's story. I said, "Damn, like I was probably could have been telling me the truth." Yeah, I found that very interesting because we're seeing a lot of whistleblowers who are you know aged. They're they're in their eighties or nineties. Mm -hmm. I talked to one guy. He contacted me. He was very eager to get his story out. He was in the hospital on his deathbed. I'm like, wow, you know, I mean, that's a huge responsibility. Yeah. And he just had an amazing story. He described this incredible event where he, he did construction. He was in the construction industry and often was contracted by the military to work uh, on Air Force bases across the country. And one day he was working at Edwards and he's walking along through um, this area where there was a hangar. And his employer is walking with him and he sees that there's a window and walking by the window and he just turns his head and looks inside and gets a real shock because inside there's a classic flying saucer. It was this smooth mirror finish, metallic silver, like chrome, mm -hmm. no windows, nothing on it, but it was floating and it was a metallic saucer. It was maybe 20 feet across or so. And he immediately turns to his employer and says, what's that? And his employer turns sheet white and won't talk, just puts his finger to his mouth and glares at him and says, you know, don't talk, don't say a word. And uh, the guy I interviewed asked him again and he refused to talk about it. And that's how, where it remained for a couple of years. But a few years later, the same employer calls the witness up and says, you know, I, I, we need you to do another job. And the guy I interviewed says, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it unless you tell me what we saw at that Edwards Air Force Base on that day. And he did. He said, okay, I'll tell you. That was not an ET craft. That was something that was reversed engineered using ET technology and was under the guise of the Star Wars program. Remember that with yeah. Reagan? Yeah. Uh, so that was just one of what we now have are what several hundred 
uh, firsthand whistleblower accounts of people describing the same darn thing. Wow. And we're going to see more of it because people are, you know, can't keep a secret forever. No one likes to keep a secret. <laughs> you know, pe people like to talk. It's mm -hmm. human nature to share our own experiences. And when it's something that profound, I think it's very, very difficult for the witnesses to keep quiet. Right. Some of them have paid the price. Leonard Stringfield, of course, was the UFO crash retrieval pioneer, uh, pioneering investigator for years. It was really just him looking into it. And mm -hmm. he's got many accounts where officers went public and told what they saw and <coughs> suffered repercussions because of it. They right. were threatened or even killed in some cases. Terrible. Yeah. Huh. You know, um, but one of the things, do you think that um, the government used the private sector to leak out some of this technology, like this guy was telling me at Bell Labs? Yeah, I think probably that's um, true, and it's coming from a number of different sources. Uh, I'm not sure why they just wouldn't let us know um, if this is a phenomenon they fear that they feel fear is dangerous or a threat to national security, which I think they probably do. Cause from a military standpoint, if you have something flying around that can shut off your missiles mm -hmm. <laughs> or can abduct people or can you know do just about anything and we're powerless to stop them uh, from a military standpoint, that's gotta be alarming to say the, the very least. Yeah. So I think that they're very reluctant to just let, dump all this out to the public. I wonder uh, if the, um, you know, like like some of these crashes that you said are gifts. I wonder if that's like uh, alien technology that's like their old technology. It's like a, already like, you know, a thousand years old or something. And for <laughs> us, it's like brand new. Yeah, it's like a VCR instead of a DVD player or live streaming, so right. to speak. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. What I do find interesting is the UFO phenomena has remained largely unchanged for about 100 years. Uh, there was the airship wave of the 1890s, 1900s, uh, which involved dirigible-like objects, which don't seem to be quite as modern as the UFOs we see today. Mm -hmm. But following that, I mean, we these, those craft are usually described as saucer-shaped or cigar-shaped mm -hmm. or boomerang-shaped or spherical. Those are the main ones. Yeah, We're getting a lot of triangular UFO reports, and there's a lot of rumors flying around now uh, that most of these triangle craft are our own. Yes. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder if that's true. So I started looking through all my files because I'm like, no, that's not true. I know I've talked to people who've seen triangular craft with aliens in them. Mm -hmm. And I did. You know, I did find a few. Bill Foster, I, I interviewed him. He wrote a book about his experiences, The Black Triangle Abduction. Highly recommended. It's an incredible book about how he and his wife and actually two friends were taken on board this giant triangular craft. And he had repeat experiences. He ended up going under hypnosis uh -huh. and found out that he was having encounters his whole life. 
But yeah, he described this as a triangular craft, just basic triangle. And I found a few others, but not nearly as many as I thought. And now I'm wondering, I'm like, huh, maybe, maybe th th this is true, that some of these triangular craft are our own. I don't know. I think pub, the boomerang, no, mm -hmm. like, like a uh, Phoenix lights. Uh, that's described as sort of a boomerang shaped yeah. object, which was at a very low level, 3000 feet, 1000 feet, thousands of people saw it. There was apparently multiple craft because this took place over a period of an entire evening, yeah, uh, two or three hours. And you can track it traveling south across the US actually. So I'm guessing that was, I mean, it went right over Luke Air Force Base and we know that they didn't know, they weren't expecting it. So if that was ours, how come nobody told them? They were launching airplanes after them. Right. We know this because people who live next to the base saw this, multiple people saw this. Multiple people were called Luke Air Force Base too to report this. And they released a statement and saying, no, nobody called us. <laughs> and then we had mm -hmm. all these witnesses saying, well, I called them. And uh, so they were caught lying from the very beginning. Yeah. And uh, that whole incident probably would not have received the publicity it got if stupidly Davis Monthan Air Force Base officials there decided, let's muddy the waters. Let's, let's release a bunch of flares. And that will be the explanation that people... This is what they saw. And what happened <laughs> is a bunch of people saw that and some people photographed that. You know, only a few were able to uh, had the presence of mind to photograph the actual Phoenix lights. Mm -hmm. but there are some good ones, though. Uh, but many people photographed the flares and a lot of those got on television. And that's what caused this whole incident to snowball into a complete media frenzy to the point where Governor Fife Symington who actually saw the UFO, lied about it, and held a press conference where they marched in a person dressed up in an alien costume and said, we found the source. This is it. And they made a joke out of it. Yeah, I remember that. Remember that? Oh, I was so angry. And I was even more angry when I found out that Fife Symington was an actual witness. Mm -hmm. I mean, God bless him for coming forward. Uh, yeah. But he, it was he has come clean since then, right? Yeah, but but he was retired. Now he's a pastry <laughs> chef. And I'm like, well, where were you when people were calling your office and the phones were ringing off the hook? Frances Barwood, a city councilwoman, very low in municipal government, was the one who actually, the only one who investigated this in any official capacity. And she tried to contact uh, Senator... McCain and uh, Governor Fife Symington, and they all like, no, don't know, nothing, any, what, what, what? <laughs> right. Senator McCain, he, one of the things that he did before he passed away was he pushing for some type of disclosure? Yeah, yeah, we're seeing that more and more. I'm so excited. You know, because uh, he was, he's, you know, he knew he was going to pass, he knew he was going to die anyway, so he started pushing for it. Yeah, Senator reed from nevada as well uh we have a lot of people very high in government who have had first-hand encounters uh certainly there was president reagan who admitted to a reporter that he had seen a ufo while he was governor mm -hmm. as did 
President Carter, yeah, same Carter. thing, who was governor at the time. Uh, but we have got presidents from other countries. I believe mm-hmm. the president of Mexico said he saw a UFO. Uh, we have senators, Senator Russell from Virginia. Uh, there are other senators, other representatives who have come forward saying they've seen UFOs. Governor Fife Symington, Governor Gilligan from Illinois. Uh, we've got people up and down the spectrum of government who have come forth and disclosed. Disclosure, in a sense, has already happened. But what we need is a sitting president, a sitting head of state to come forth and say, okay, I'm telling you now that we have conclusive proof that UFOs are real. Right. That's what we need. Do we need it from the government? Or would it be better for it to come from the scientific community? Uh, it's going to come from somewhere. I think it's going to come from government because if they don't disclose, and this is why you know, perhaps Stephen Bassett is right, uh, they're going to lose control of the situation. <laughs> they're already neck deep in UFOs. If, if they've got them at many Air Force bases across the United States and the world uh, and know all about this phenomenon and have since the very beginning, since at least the 1940s, uh, well before Roswell, 42, there was the Battle of L.A., yeah. which apparently craft were shot down. There's the Cape Girardeau incident in Missouri. I believe that's also 1942. Uh, so they've known for a very, very long time that this is an act, totally real phenomenon. They've got the hardware. And now it's reached a point where people don't trust government. If you, this is Gallup surveys show this. Most people believe in UFOs, it's over 50%, and even a higher percentage believe our government is hiding UFO information. So it's gotten to the point where because our government has Uh such a terrible record of lying about all kinds of things, like the experiments they did with hallucinogenics or venereal disease on on unsuspecting citizens and just horrible things, if they don't disclose, people will not trust them. People will look elsewhere for information and leadership. And we're beginning to see that. Uh, mm. people, so that's why I think our government is being forced to play its hand. Sort of like the civil rights movement mm-hmm. was not something our government embraced at all. But it was an idea whose time had come and nothing was going to stop it. It was the right thing to do. It's the right side of history. And that's what we're seeing with this whole disclosure movement. So you can't you, hide the truth forever. You can't. So, so you think there's the, the, UF, the UFO community has grown so large and it has so many people in it now and that are in positions of power that the government is actually concerned about people not believing them if they don't reveal it. Yes, because we have so many people within government who are whistleblowing. I mean, look at Paul Hellyer, former defense minister of Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, he said flat out, he's probably one of the highest level of government officials who's really on the UFO circuit trying to get this information out there. But yeah, precisely. We, so many people are being contacted. Uh, musicians, very influential people like John Lennon, uh, he disclosed. We've had a lot of celebrities who've had encounters. Muhammad Ali, mm-hmm. he talked a lot about it publicly. Now we've got what 
Miley Cyrus and Tom DeLonge and Demi Lovato and, <laughs> and other people saying, you know, uh, they've had encounters and they are in a position to influence a lot of people. And it's not just, you know, musicians, it's uh, all kinds of people within very high levels of society who are seeing this stuff. There are NASA scientists. Uh, there are people within very high levels of military who have tried to disclose. Mm -hmm. um, Gen General MacArthur, he, he said as much, you know, that our next war will probably be an interplanetary war is what he said flat out. Um, well, one of the things that you mentioned, like, too, you know, about Ronald Reagan, you know, he's one of the presidents that has seen it, seen, you know, had an encounter. And he's also the same guy who started the Star Wars program. I wonder if they're linked. I wonder if his reason for starting Star Wars had to do with that encounter. I think so. You know, he made three or four very public statements uh, supporting the idea of UFOs, saying, you know, if there was some other intelligence out there, we would all come together. Uh, he said that several times. Uh, so I think he was definitely within the loop. I think most presidents are. George Bush, probably, Gerald Ford. Mm -hmm. Well, we know Nixon was because uh, he oh, allegedly yeah. showed alien bodies to Jackie Gleason. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we know Eisenhower was. And, of right. course, uh, Truman uh, started M MJ-12. Uh, so I'm guessing, yeah, all the presidents are within the loop to a certain degree. Obama, he made several veiled comments. Mm-hmm. He talked about Area 51 publicly. I think he was the first president to do so. Clinton made some comments. Uh, Trump actually talked publicly a number of times on television about UFO crash retrievals. Uh, so we'll see if President Biden <laughs> does anything. Or, <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's going to come from the U.S. Uh, we've been sort of dragging our feet a little bit. I mean, we were one of the last countries to outlaw slavery. <laughs> we're yeah. not really uh, ahead of the curve on a lot of things. Right. So, so it might come from a country like Mexico. But Mexico's we're, already pretty open about it. <laughs> like their right. president's already like, yeah, we, we know these things are there and we don't know what they are, where they're coming from. Yeah, they were put in a position where they had to disclose because of certain incidents like the sighting of during the solar eclipse mm -hmm. in 1991, I believe it was, Mexico City, a silver disc appeared overhead, a couple of thousand feet high, and the whole city saw it. And there's some 20 to 30 videotapes which were taken of this object from different vantage points, mm -hmm. which allows us to triangulate it and get its altitude and size pretty accurately. And uh, I think that's some of the best footage we have out there. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah. I, and if we don't do it, the ETs will. Because <laughs> uh, that's what we're seeing, too. A la Phoenix Lights. I mean, look at Gulf Breeze. Look, mm -hmm. look what happened in Hud upstate New York. Or Withville, Virginia. A lot of people don't even know about the huge wave of sightings in Withville, Virginia. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, they had a flood of sightings to where everybody locally sees them and uh, we had a huge wave here uh where I, where i live in southern california in the santa monica mountains uh 
from 1992 to 1994. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was one I investigated personally. I wrote a book about it and I documented like 200 some cases and still more. I'm still getting cases. Uh -huh. uh, and that was a huge wave of sightings where they clearly wanted to be seen. I mean, people were seeing hundreds of objects at a time. Cars were being chased down the road. It was they were hovering over people's homes and sending down beams of light and lighting up the entire interior. They were landing next to people's homes. This is a type of behavior mm -hmm. which is very brazen. It's very, I call it a publicity stunt. That's yeah. what I think it is. It's also, that, that sounds very, I think it was uh, something that happened in Chile where like there, there were like, you know, tons of UFOs and people being abducted for a period of time. Yeah, I was going to mention Chile as one of the possible uh, proponents of disclosure because they have an official government body which uh, studies the subject. And we did. <laughs> we had Project Blue Book, which turned out to be a complete farce. Yeah. Uh, and so unfortunate. And thank God for J. Allen Hynek, who defected eventually after the Michigan sightings, mm -hmm. uh, which he said, oh, maybe it's swamp gas, <laughs> uh, when it so clearly wasn't. Uh, the Hillsdale sightings, especially at Hillsdale College, where it hovered there for two hours and landed next to the school and was seen by 80 students, by multiple police officers, and the, the school faculty. It was <laughs> not swamp gas. <laughs> and uh, so he defected from Project Blue Book and wrote two, three books. Mm -hmm. uh, and which he said flat out, Project Blue Book was not an objective investigative body. Yeah. They paid all attention. They poured all their attention towards sightings that had prosaic explanations. Mm -hmm. If someone saw Venus and they misidentified it, boy, they were there. <laughs> but if, like, there was this one incident which occurred over Beverly High School. It's an incredible incident where these three ladies, well, they actually started out when a girl who lived next to the school saw a UFO floating down the street heading towards Beverly High School. She ran down the stairs and told her mom and her, and her parents, and, and they're like, you, you imagined it, and she, but she wouldn't shut up. She's like, no, no, it's right out there. It's right out there. And so her mom and two other adult uh, ladies hiked up the street to the school got a real shock there was not there was three objects one was high hovering pretty high up there one was hovering right over the school itself and one was actually pretty low and one of them raises her hand to wave at this object and it drops down over her head 10 feet over their head the two other women ran one woman stayed there and she actually peed in her peed herself and she was so frightened wow. and they ran home called the police, got all the neighbors and ran back with a crowd of 10, 15 people and watched these things for another 15 minutes until the police showed up. And the police said, oh, you know, they pulled up, saw the people and like, all right, who called about the airplane? And they pointed to the school where this object was still 15 feet, 50 uh -huh. feet over the school. And both officers jumped out of the car. They were visibly shaken. And uh, Raymond Fowler interviewed all these people and uh turns out this that object darted away it went to a nearby school hovered over that one and took off well the air force project blue book uh 
heard about this and didn't actually go down there and interview the people. They just said, oh, what they saw, it's obvious, it was Venus. <laughs> and that's their official explanation for the Beverly High School incident, which is so awful. <laughs> I mean, it's so ridiculous because no one is going to pee in their pants when they see Venus. No. I mean, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> this was 10 feet over their head. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is how, I mean, we are investigating, investigating, I'll put that in air quotes, uh, UFOs officially. Uh, yeah. No, the Project Blue Book was a joke. And the real studies were going on by the Air Technical Intelligence Command at uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base mm -hmm. from the very beginning. I mean, there was a drive-in UFO encounter, which took place at the terrorist drive-in in Bakersfield, California in 1952, where an army lieutenant was in the audience. <laughs> and he was a good witness, and he called up the police. And uh, after the police received a bunch of calls, they went down there and actually interviewed like 30 people and sent a report to Project Blue Book to Edwards Air Force Base. And what did Project Blue Book do? They did not take that case. They forwarded it to the ATIC, the Air Technical Intelligence Command, in a report marked action the very next day. So they took it very seriously. And not only did they send it to the ATIC in Wright-Patterson, they sent it to Ent Air Force Base in Colorado, where we track um, incoming and outgoing aircraft of all kinds. Uh -huh. And to the highest level of government, the director of intelligence at Washington, D.C. So this hmm. is 1952. <laughs> and meanwhile, people are calling the Air Force and they come down and said, oh, you saw Venus. They're using our tax dollars to uh, lie to us when they know full well this is a real phenomenon and have from the very beginning. Hmm. So they've painted themselves into a corner. They're going to have a real hard time disclosing, but it's going to happen. Yeah, I wonder I wonder if they disclosed though it was just going to make everybody more frustrated with the government for hiding Likely. it for so long. Like I was just, how could yeah. they do that? How could they have hidden this from us for so long? You know, had people being abducted and all kinds of strange, unexplainable happenings to people that have caused all kinds of weird anxiety and whatever. And, and all they had to do was tell us like 50 years ago. Yeah, and they almost did. Oh, I often think about the Roswell press release. Yeah. Uh, which was, you know, published worldwide and retracted the next day. Just think if that hadn't been retracted, what a different world we'd be living in. Uh, because if this, you know, if they truly uh, were sincere about this, they would have gone public so we could publicly all study this so we can throw all our time and resources and our best minds at this phenomena and really understand it. But no, like our government has a long track record and governments across the world, they're corrupt, they're greedy, they're power hungry, and they kept it to themselves. I can see from, you know, why they may have done in the beginning because this was probably very alarming <laughs> to discover that this was real. Mm -hmm. Uh, but at some point, it's counterproductive to keep the secret. It's not helping anybody. Uh, so they're, they're spending more energy trying to cover it up than they are trying to study it. Uh, 
I mean, I don't know if that's true, but you see what I mean. Yeah. Uh, Do you think they allow like certain scientists access to some information, at least like certain physicists that are doing research, access to some of the UFO information that other people are not privy to? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I remember there was a Professor Carr from Florida who was a body language linguistics expert. Uh, he was called in. And he was one of the first to start to disclose this sort of stuff. And we know from uh, Frank Scully's book, Behind the Flying Saucers, which was the first uh, book to talk about crash retrievals. And it wasn't taken seriously. And uh, he was widely attacked and debunked. Uh, now many researchers are taking his research much more seriously right. and feel like he was on the right track. <laughs> But at the time, no, he suffered badly for going public. And they do. They call in high-level scientists, uh, metallurgists, photography experts. Uh, one lady was an expert in herpetology, reptiles. Right. Uh, Interesting. They were called in. So all these people, yeah, there's a number of high-level scientists who know, hands down, <laughs> that this is real. That's why this is so frustrating. People say, oh, the UFO mystery. And I'm like, well, wait, let's back up a second. Is this really a mystery? Hmm. Is this, now don't we know what this is by now? I think we have enough evidence in the public arena, even, to solidly conclude that this is extraterrestrial, that there is an extraterrestrial presence. And some of, you know, we started out with just sightings, multiple right. witness sightings supported by lie detector tests. Pretty soon we had all kinds of film and footage. And it wasn't long before we had very high quality landing trace cases like Socorro and uh, many others. Uh, but then, you know, people started getting taken on board and we had medical evidence. People were being hit by beams of light and suffering, say, radiation type mm -hmm. sickness or being healed. So the evidence just started to pile and pile up. We have angel hair evidence. Uh, angel hair is a substance that's like cotton candy or spider web like mm -hmm. substance that is released from UFOs only very rarely. And it's apparently a byproduct of their engines because it's got weird metals in it, like magnesium and boron and stuff like this. But that's good physical evidence. And now we have implant evidence. Uh, yeah. Thanks to Dr. Roger Lear and Daryl Sims and a number of other researchers, uh, we have the smoking gun. We know now for sure that, I mean, we have solid evidence. What more do you need? <laughs> so people who say, ah, oh, people who believe in UFOs are deluded. They're just doing fuzzy thinking. I had one guy tell me that who was a, you know, a scientist. I'm like, hold on there. <laughs> Let me talk to you. Uh, because no, we, we do have solid physical evidence. And mm -hmm. I don't think it's accurate to call this a complete mystery anymore. Right. Yeah, like one of the interviews I did was with Terry Lovelace, and he had a he had a, he has X-rays of an implant that was behind his knee. Yeah, a lot of people do. Um, I've seen some of these. I've I've held an implant in my own hand. Oh wow! Um, I've talked to Roger Lear many times. I interviewed one of the ladies who had her implant removed. Uh, by the way, she was abducted two weeks later, <laughs> and they put it back. Mm -hmm. uh, but 
I have to tell you, the majority of the people I interview who have extensive encounters, who are taken on board, the majority of them have evidence of being implanted. One guy from upstate New York was uh, having some health problems uh, with Crohn's disease and high blood pressure. And he went to the doctor and they're like, well, what's this in your sinus? <laughs> There's an object there. Another guy I interviewed from Washington State, uh, he had to go to the doctor because he broke his leg while playing football in high school. And the doctor's like, oh, you broke your uh, foot before I see. And, and the guy I interviewed was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> what are you talking about? And like the doctor said, well, there's a metallic object right in there. What's that? And those are just a couple of these, these types of cases. I see one more recently, I talked to a, a lady uh, who has a teenage son and uh, she took him to the dentist. He was like 14 years old and uh, the dentist freaked out because they took an x-ray and there was this huge marble, a metallic like uh, sphere under his back molar. There was no entry wound, no sign of any tissue damage at all. And uh, he called in the mother and said, what's this? <laughs> and talked to the kid and like, did you shoot yourself in the mouth with a BB gun? Which they both denied. They said, we would have remembered that. <laughs> that never happened. And if, besides, if you look at this thing, she sent me an x-ray. Uh, it's the size of a marble. It's not a BB. It's a large, it's as big as, you know, it's fairly large. Wow. What do you and, think the uh, purpose is of the implants? Ah, I'm glad you asked. Because... We don't know. We don't know for sure. Uh, we do know that some of them actually do emit an electromagnetic signature. Um, some are magnetic. They can disappear or move within the body. Uh, they have no foreign body reaction. There's a number of very unusual things about them. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation that they're used for perhaps mind control because people often come away from an abduction experience and they don't remember a lot of it, or they'll have a sudden impulse, an irresistible impulse to drive out of their home and to a remote location or make an unexpected exit off the freeway. And that's when they have an encounter. So people think, ah, oh, maybe it's these implants doing that. Mm -hmm. But I have to tell you, I've interviewed three people and I've uh, read a uh, several other accounts which point towards the exact purpose of these implants. I think we know now what they are for. Uh, they are to do with our health. This is what one lady was told. She asked the ETs and they said, oh, it's to monitor the level of pollution in your body. Another was told it was to um, measure your vital signs. Another was told it was to boost your immune system. But it's usually along these lines. Uh, one guy in England, Jason Andrews, he has an implant and he's like, I will never let anyone remove mine uh, because he believes, yeah, it's there to boost our health. Mm -hmm. And we have evidence that actually speaks towards that. There's one lady I interviewed who uh, was having a lot of problems with the irritation in her nose and uh, doctors couldn't find anything. And finally, one day she sneezes and out comes this little metallic cylinder. It, she completely freaked her out and she quickly threw it away something she now regrets. But following that, she became very ill. And over the next few months, she suffered from a hypoglycemia type illness. She was somewhat overweight with her 
recent pregnancy and began mm -hmm. to lose weight rapidly and would actually pass out. Uh, and she went to the doctor. They couldn't diagnose her. They're like, well, we don't know. It's not diabetes. It's not hypoglycemia. It's something to do with your blood sugar. We're not sure. And uh, she just kept getting sicker and sicker. And she would always have to carry around a glass of orange juice and a peanut butter sandwich because she could pass out at any time. She was passing out multiple times daily. When one evening um, she's got up to go get uh, some juice and something to eat, when boom, just like that, like a switch is flipped, she's not in her house anymore. Mm -hmm. now, mind you, she's just a housewife from Nebraska. She's got no special affiliations with government or she's not an influential person in society. She has no idea why she's being contacted. But she woke up and she was not inside a UFO. She was in a facility of some kind. It was very large. She said it was like an auditorium filled with cubicles. There was industrial carpet on the floor. She was lying on a table in one of these cubicles. She could see across the corridor to another man in a, a plaid shirt um, who introduced himself as Cooper. And uh, they were talking and trying to orient themselves because they both felt kind of drugged and dazed when suddenly she sees someone walking towards them down this fairly wide corridor and she screamed because it wasn't a human being. This figure was nine mm -hmm. feet tall and it wore a shiny black clothes and what looked like a black cape and it had a huge head. I mean, a really big, broad chin, a giant forehead, a huge, thick jaw and very weird eyes, but was humanoid I mean, mm -hmm. it looked almost human but it definitely wasn't human it had it didn't have hair it had like this straw-like thick um stuff on its head which stuck straight up uh, she contacted me because she really wanted to know if i had ever heard of another description like this and i have to say no i haven't and this being comes over to her walks into her cubicle and she falls back on the table and she's screaming. And she, he says, it's your turn now, Jill. And that sent her over the edge. And he starts placing these metallic instruments on her body. They look like little silver bells, she said, sort of bell-shaped objects. One of them was on her pancreas, all over her uh, torso. And they started pulsating energy. And... Uh, she says it was not pleasant. It was somewhat uncomfortable. And she became so terrified that she actually just passed out. And next thing she knows, she's waking up and she's back in her living room. And she's like, oh my God, what the heck just happened? And goes running to wake up her husband. And guess what? He won't wake up. He's under this weird hypnotic sleep, which is what they do in these cases. Uh, she had three children. None of them would wake up. She's going back and forth to various family members trying to wake them up for over a half an hour before they finally wake up. And we're like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she's like, I just had this experience. And she explains what happens. And luckily for her, they were very supportive. Often mm. this will cause a lot of friction within families and yeah. has caused divorces to people I've interviewed. Uh, people have lost friends. They've lost you know, touch with siblings. <laughs> A lot of people just don't want to handle this. Uh, but she had a very supportive family. And she was very sore for about two weeks. And it was about the third day that she, she noticed that she hadn't passed out. She didn't pass out yesterday or that day. 
She didn't pass out the next day. She was feeling much better. And in fact, over the next few weeks, she started gaining weight again and her weight stabilized and she was perfectly healthy. I'm guessing she had a healing treatment, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps an implant. Uh, so this is, these are the sort of things we see. Hmm. So, so it's more than just tracking. Yeah. I, and in fact, one person was told, uh, oh, you use these implants for tracking. They said, and they kind of laughed and said, no, no, we, we can track anybody through each person has an individual, uh, they didn't use the word fingerprint, but it was along those lines, uh, sort of a, an, in, uh, a vibrational energy. Right. Which, that makes so uh, much sense which is totally unique to each person. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy for them to track us, which makes sense because people have moved yeah. all over the United States trying to escape their uh, ETs. <laughs> like Whit Whitley Strieber talks about that, how he moved away from his cabin and decided, oh, you know what, after that experience, he moved to the heart of New York City. Well, that didn't help. He moved off to Texas. That didn't help either. Uh, so they can track you anywhere if they want. I wonder if they could track us off planet. Ah, uh, probably. You know, there was one guy who had a Fitbit. I think that's what you call it. Mm -hmm. uh, the wristwatch. Yeah, which kind of tracks. It has a global uh, positioning mm -hmm. tracker on it. And uh, after he was taken, this thing went offline. <laughs> and it showed him going to a different area where he wasn't at. And then, boom, it's gone. And then he comes back. And so that was really interesting, good evidence. It is. That uh, he was <laughs> actually physically taken. Because some people say, oh, these abductions are mental. No, no, no. They are not uh, mental. Some people said, oh, you know, the, people are just hallucinating this. No, no. We know this is not true because not only are they physically altered, uh, they can come back with scars, bruises, uh, healings. Uh, implants but often they're not where they're supposed to be hmm. this happened to dr roger lear he hmm. had an experience which he wrote about in his book and when he was returned his daughter was like where were you daddy you weren't in bed where were you well he hadn't gotten out of bed <laughs> he hadn't gone to the bathroom mm -hmm. uh, so where was he people are missing from bus stops they're missing from their bedrooms they're missing people that causes a search some of the people I've interviewed, you know, the family is going crazy. They call the police because they can't find their child. The lady, Dolly, I, I interviewed her for my book, Onboard UFO Experiences. They once found her over a mile away from her house and the doors were all locked. She's just five years old. I mean, she's a little kid, too young to even say what happened. Uh, but that happened multiple times to her. Do you think that they are able to abduct people without taking the body, like abduct a person's astral body. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, there's many accounts of that. We do have an astral body, uh, a dream body, mm -hmm. our spirit body. And this has been proven in a laboratory setting, by the way, Robert Monroe was a very famous out of body traveler. He was able to appear as an apparition to numerous people and actually proved this scientifically <laughs> in front of scientists um, and was able to appear as an apparition. So we know that there's a, 
is a spirit body. We know this from, of course, near-death experiences and mm -hmm. mediumship and sightings of ghosts. The evidence for it is very compelling and outstanding. I've had a, I've really looked into this. Uh, I've had a number of out-of-body experiences myself, and uh, they absolutely can take a person astrally, and do that sometimes because uh, perhaps they don't need to physically abduct them this time. They just need to teach them some spiritual truths, perhaps, which is absolutely one of their primary agendas. They are trying to wake us up. People are in heavy-duty denial about their experiences. And this is why I think sometimes they have a traumatic experience, because otherwise they will just not listen. They will cover it up. The human mind has a tendency to uh, cover up trauma. We see this with victims of heavy-duty child abuse mm -hmm. or war trauma victims. Uh, it causes amnesia if it's too, if it doesn't fit within your worldview. And ETs are trying to wake people up to the fact that we can do astral travel, that we can heal psychically, that we have the ability to learn about our past lives, that we can channel or give psychic readings. I can't tell you, I mean, this is the biggest thing I see in terms of how does an encounter affect a person. If a person is being taken on board repeatedly, I'm dollars to donuts, they are having all kinds of psychic experiences. Many of them would qualify as you know, being a medium. They mm -hmm. can see and talk to ghosts. It's not at all unusual among the uh, contactee population. Uh, they become channelers. Now, one guy from upstate New York, uh, who's the guy I told you who had a, an implant in his sinus, yeah. uh, he came away from his experiences uh, with a powerful ability to give psychic readings, which he didn't want to do. I mean, that was not his thing. But suddenly he'd be walking by a person and he'd hear these ETs talking. And they said, you have a job to do. Go talk to them. Go talk to them. And he felt compelled. I mean, he could not stop himself. And he would see these images and give them an accurate psychic reading. I asked him, well, can you give me a specific example? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. He talked about uh, how he told one lady that her brakes were about to go off. He told another lady, go home now. It's very important you go and see your husband right now. And she, she's like, who are you? You know, she, he's just accosting her on the street and he's like i don't know i mean i just I, I feel compelled to tell you this and usually he doesn't hear back so he's not sure if he's accurate or not mm -hmm. right um but sometimes he does and it was a couple of years later he's in the grocery store and he's in line and he, oh, a couple of lines next to him there's that same lady who he had told go home go home and see your husband and she sees him and he sees her and she leaves her line and comes over to his line. And he's like, oh no, here we go. And she comes up to him and says, you're that man, aren't you? You're that man who told me to go home, aren't you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that was me. Is everything okay? She says, I just want to thank you. I mean, I can't thank you enough. I went home, like you said, and I had the most wonderful evening with my husband. And that evening he died in his sleep. Hmm. Uh, that she would not have had that last night with him because she was you know, out in the town. So because of him, she got that, which is because of the ETs, which makes me think, oh, wait, 
You know, people are saying, ETs are hostile. You know, the grades are demonic. They're awful, awful. They're hurting us. Uh-huh. Well, I'm not so sure that that's true. Why would they do that? Why are they? They gave this really wonderful, helpful, beautiful message to uh, this man to give to this woman. And I see this sort of thing over and over again. People so, are being taught how UFOs work, how to build free electric, I mean, free energy motors. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you think like what people call angels are actually ETs? I wonder about that. I do. Cause I, you know, Jacques Vallée talks quite a bit about how there's a bleed through with religious phenomena and UFO encounters. And we do see a lot of parallels between angelic encounters and uh, UFO encounters, mm-hmm. kind of like the Fatima incident. Yes. Um, but I started looking into this. And I found the literature for angels very compelling. And I looked into demons too, because you know there's a certain segment of the fundamentalist religious. I, I got a whole episode coming out on that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know I did. I researched demonic phenomena. I had to. I bought the books about the Exorcist, the True Case. I bought you know books about demonic possession and uh, how you uh, what do you call it when you uh, get rid of the demon? You uh, exercise. exercise. Uh, a person and looked deeply into these types of hauntings and investigated some personally where people were possessed uh, and they were very scary hauntings, but they follow a very strict pattern. You know, a UFO encounter follows a very set pattern. Thomas Bullard, a folklorist and UFO researcher, was the first to really identify the pattern of UFO contact where the person is taken, they're physically examined, they're given a tour of the ship and they're given some sort of spiritual messages and they're returned. And with a demonic haunting, the pattern is completely different. <laughs> it's a, it starts out with knocking noises. Usually mm-hmm. cold spots, doors opening and closing, uh, weird smells, bizarre noises. It usually targets one person in the family, often a child or someone who's vulnerable in some way. And it just escalates uh, into becoming worse and worse and worse. It's a different phenomenon. And I'm thinking angels are probably different as well. uh, Because the literature on that is very compelling. But on the other hand, I think it can be very difficult to sort of differentiate the two when you have a glowing being who comes into your room and heals you. Uh, How do you know if that's an angel or if that's an ET? I can't can tell you that one lady I interviewed, I call her Lynette. Uh, she was having pretty traumatic encounters with Grays. It wasn't pleasant at first by any means, though she was healed of a heart condition. Uh, she was diagnosed with a tumor in her chest. And before she had an operation, the ETs came and took it out. She went back to the doctor. The doctor's like, oh my God, it's gone. What happened? She didn't want to say, but she's had long conversations with these guys. She's met her full-grown hybrid son who uh-huh. told her, I am here to protect you. I will always be here to protect you. And he had all these messages for her. He said, you need to tell people to stop eating meat. Uh, you don't need to eat meat to survive. He told her, people need to stop putting out the greed and negativity that you're putting out because you will destroy your race like we did. He told her that if people should start disappearing from this planet in large numbers, 
it's being done for the universal good. Find that interesting because, you know, missing 411 and we have all kinds of people who are just missing. Do you think uh, they could be putting people on another planet? Yes. I absolutely do think that. And yeah, as, going back, going back like to the next case. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But going back to Lynette, mm-hmm. BT's told her that uh, you used to think we were angels. Many people, who, what you thought were angels, that was us. So, yeah, I think probably a lot of what has been termed angelic phenomena is probably not. And I've talked to a number of people recently uh, who have been told flat out that there is a relocation plan. This is what Lynette was told. Okay. I know, I know uh, researcher Karen Holton is talking about this mm-hmm. publicly. She's on the UFO circuit. Uh, Dolly, the lady I interviewed, she talks about this. Uh, and she was actually taken to another planet as a kid. Uh, she said it was amazing. It had a lesser gravity. Uh, other people were being taken there. There was all kinds of weird flora and fauna that's not native to our planet. And yeah, I absolutely think that that's a definite possibility and could actually happen. Um, and actually, here's a really great case that speaks towards that. One lady I interviewed, her name is Pat Cates. She's from Florida, but eventually moved to Louisiana and had encounters her whole life. As a little girl, she saw a weird figure looking at her through the second story window. She thought maybe something followed them home from the circus, which they had visited that day. And she told her grandparents where she was staying. And they're like, honey, you're on the second floor. Nobody could have been there. Uh, it must have been your imagination. That's the only explanation. She knew it wasn't. She was awake. And she now recognized it as a gray. So she grew up, you know, she kept having missing time, started having what she called, quote, UFO dreams, where she'd be on board a UFO being physically examined. She'd see the grays and all this stuff. But then she had this incredible experience in 1985 where she's having one of her UFO dreams, as she calls them. Only this time she woke up and she's not on board a UFO. She's standing outside next to one, next to two of them, actually. Two very, very large saucer-shaped craft. Uh, They had a door opened, a big ramp was going down. There's grays underneath Mm -hmm. and human-looking ETs in blue jumpsuits of different races, by the way. Black, Asian, white, she said. And uh, one guy was standing next to her. He looked kind of... Uh, Mexican or South American, perhaps, uh, short, d- dark hair, darkish skin. And he, they had parked next to this town, this village, kind of. It was a, a large town, actually, but it wasn't in the United States. As far as she knows, it wasn't. It didn't look like it. She, it looked to her like South America. She's thinking mm-hmm. maybe Mexico, Peru or something. She, she didn't know, but just judging from the architecture, this looked like it was in South America. And she went with this human-looking ET down to this village and started taking people out of their homes and into the craft. Said it was the strangest thing. She didn't question anything. She doesn't know why she didn't. She just followed dutifully. She had the feeling that they were that there was something was going to happen and that they were being rescued. And none of the people complained. They just followed like sheep, like little children. Nobody questioned anything. And she says they did this for a couple of hours and must have collected a thousand people, perhaps several hundred at least, but she's guessing it was 
probably a couple of thousand because there was another craft and they filled the whole darn thing up. It had about multiple levels and they filled mm -hmm. up the two bottom levels. And uh, finally, I, they filled up these craft and they, she climbed inside. She was taken to the top level and uh, these craft suddenly lifted up when there was a huge explosion, not too far off in the distance, a volcanic explosion. And this huge cloud of, of you know, a pyroclastic cloud, a wall of ash and dust and debris and mud came barreling down this river and buried this town uh, and all the people in it, wh whoever was remaining. She says the UFOs came down and scooped some people out of the mud and uh, saved a few survivors. Uh, but ultimately, uh, they had to leave. Next thing she knows, it's landed on her driveway. <laughs> Uh, in uh, Louisiana, I think it was. Mm -hmm. and, uh, she's led back into her room and she goes to sleep. And she wakes up the next morning thinking, oh my God, no, this was a weird one. She calls her friend. You're not going to believe it. I had another UFO dream and this one was a humzinger. And uh, she describes what happened. And her friend's like, oh my God, Pat, hang up the phone. Hang up the phone right now and turn on the TV right now. So Pat hangs up the phone and turns on the TV and gets an enormous shock. There's her dream in full living color, and it's on every channel. It turned out the Nevada, Nevado del Ruiz volcano in Colombia had just exploded and buried several towns, including the town of Armero, which was the town she saw, she thinks. Mm -hmm. And the death count was some 20... 2,000 people mm -hmm. who allegedly were buried under 50 feet of mud. And uh, she's thinking, well, maybe they weren't all buried. <laughs> maybe some of these were rescued. Yeah. And I asked her, well, what do you think happened to them? And she got a little teary and she's like, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. But she described this horrific scene, seeing this wall of mud and debris and ice and trees and houses and bodies and it was just horrific and i turned out i have the book on that <laughs> volcanic explosion I, I i've got all the books on disasters and shipwrecks mm -hmm. it's just something i'm fascinated with so i quickly dug out that book and i'm like wow the description she gave is identical to the descriptions given by some of the survivors wow. and she was so upset because this was absolute corroboration for her. She had to see a therapist about this. And the therapist, uh, after she had seen him for uh, several times, revealed that he used to work for the Pentagon and he had heard many similar stories of people who had encountered UFOs. He did not seem the least bit surprised by her encounters. <laughs> and it's funny because she stopped seeing him because she kept giving him psychic readings and just blowing his mind. And it turned out... She, he was starting to research her more than provide therapy. Right. Um, so she ended up, you know, not seeing him anymore. But yeah, he wasn't the least bit surprised. Wow. Do you think there's any connection between this relocation program and the people who go missing in federal uh, parks? Yeah, I think there probably is. Um, I'm not sure that that explains all of them. Some people think, oh, it's the reptilians. It's the underground reptilians and they're eating mm -hmm. humans for lunch. I don't, I'm not going to rule that out. Uh, I don't get a whole lot of reptilian cases 
but I did get one in the Florida Everglades. And yeah, the lady was felt like this guy wanted her for lunch. That was her impression. Uh, so I don't know, but I do feel like, I mean, this is what Lynette was told that if people are missing from this planet, it's us, we're doing it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I interviewed one guy, uh, Tony is his name, who had a really interesting experience in Palm Springs. He was with a group of his friends. They were all young men, 19, 20, 21, you know, that age. And they would periodically go out into this cabin in the high desert there in a pretty rural area and just hang out for a weekend. One of their parents owned this cabin. And there was like six or seven of them. And one day, one of the guys, Paul, that's his real name, uh, decides he's going to take a walk. And he disappears for like two hours. And people are starting to get worried. And, and they're just ready to send out a search party to look for their friend when he reappears and tells this incredible story. He's like, guys, you're not going to believe it. I came upon a landed UFO. And they're like, shut up, shut up. And he's like, no, for real, for real. And he described how he came upon this craft, which was landed at the base of this cliff and uh there was beings walking around apparently studying the terrain in this area and the plant life and he walks up to them they were very friendly they spoke to him they he said he described them as what we would look at as i think hybrids mm -hmm. they were very much human looking but had large dark eyes and very pale skin uh bald heads uh but were, and were wearing white jumpsuits and they invited him on board the craft, which he said was not super large, but it was very clean. Everything was white inside. It was sparkling and um, just completely sterile inside. And uh, they said, would you like to come with us? Or no, they said, we are studying this area and showed him around. And they said, if you'd like to come with us, you can. And he said, no, <laughs> I don't, don't want to. And they said, well, we're going to be here next year on this day. So if you reconsider, we will be here. And if you'd like to come with us, uh, show up. And long story short, a year goes by and uh, he, Paul starts giving away his possessions to his friends. Mm -hmm. And the guy I interviewed, Tony, was his friend. He's like, uh, Tony confronts Paul and says, Paul, are you, are you planning on going up there? And Paul's like, yeah, I think I will, just to see if they come. He's like, well, are you going to go with them? And he says, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know. Uh, and he ended up driving up there and did not come back. And after a couple of days when he didn't show up, Paul and uh, his friends and actually Paul's family went up there and they found Paul's car. The keys were still in the ignition, but they never found Paul. They had to call the police. It was a whole missing persons investigation. The guy interviewed Tony, spoke with the police. He's like, listen, this is all I can tell you. This is the story he told us. And uh, yeah, he never showed up again. And I know of other cases like this. There's a case in Hawaii where a lady was abducted from a UFO research group who was studying sightings in the Maui, uh, on Maui Island in the ha Hana area, Hana Beach area. And a UFO came down. They all saw it. She went running under it and boom, never seen again. Wow. I know Leonard Stringfield has a case where a, in Hobbs, New Mexico, where a farmer comes screeching into the driveway in his pickup truck because there's a UFO hovering over his truck. And he's about to jump out of the truck when boom, 
this UFO sucks the truck up with the farmer in it, and he's never seen again. The case was hushed up. But according to Leonard Stringfield, who is a great researcher, uh, this comes from a very reliable source. Hmm. And if you look into this, there's a number of cases where people have left notes or stuff like, I'm going to a flying saucer or, mm -hmm. you know, aliens are following me. If I disappear, that's why. Interesting. Uh, and so, yeah, I think probably some people who are going missing are not being murdered or trafficked or eaten by reptilians or eaten by bears or lost in the wilderness. They are being taken. Hmm. If you had the opportunity to be taken, would you go? Uh, <laughs> uh, I think I probably would, honestly. Yes, uh, because for a number of reasons. I, I'm a single guy. I don't have a lot of uh, family connections that are where people are just going to be depending on me, I should say. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm awfully curious about this. Uh, and I, I'm also very concerned about the state of our planet. And uh, the possibility that we could suffer widespread disasters. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because that's a big, big message from the ETs. That we are going to experience huge loss of life because of the way we are treating our planet. One guy I interviewed, he's a Navy medic. He was taken off his ship, of all places, and by praying mantis ETs. Mm -hmm. And they started showing them all these disasters, hurricanes and earthquakes, mostly hurricanes and tornadoes and just widespread disasters that would cause huge loss of life. And they said, because you messed around with nuclear bombs, you started down, you started a countdown clock. Those are the words they used. And because of this, these events will happen. You cannot stop them. And, uh, this event was largely buried in amnesia afterwards until some months later, he was discharged honorably and uh, was at home and was watching this nature show about praying mantis. And that's what we, I would call a cue. Uh, I see this in a number of cases where people see something that reminds them of their original experience. And he remembered all of this. And he recalls a number of these disasters that he had seen on the ship have already occurred. Uh, so, yeah, this is a number one message. There's a strong possibility there's going to be widespread loss of life because of our inability to uh, treat our planet respectfully. Um, we are, I mean, look at the garbage dump in the Pacific. Right. Big as several states filled with plastic. There's DDT in just about every biological molecule. It's, I mean, that's how badly we've polluted. There's pesticides, I and mean, we are having real problems growing up and treating our planet in the way that's safe for the continuation of our species. Uh, and our messing around with nuclear weapons seems to be one of the primary threats. And that's why we see UFOs turning off the missiles at Malmstrom Air Force Base or tracking the nuclear missiles in like the USS Klamagor. I inter interviewed a guy who was stationed in the U.S. S. Klamagor, a submarine which carried nuclear missiles, and they had a USO sighting. A UFO tracked them for mm -hmm. 15 minutes. Another guy was on the USS Long Beach, nuclear-powered missile carrier. Uh, they're all about nukes. They're hovering over every nuclear base you, you look at. I bet you you can find a history of UFO sightings. 
Right. <laughs> I found a bunch of, I found one in Arizona, I found one in California, one in New York. Philip and Brogno talked about the. Yeah. That's uh, one of the things that ter Terry was that one he, when I talked to him. Yeah. I'm telling you, they are very, very concerned about <laughs> our use of nuclear uh, weapons and nuclear power and materials. So before we wrap this up, I have one more question. Do you think uh, it's too late to save the planet? No, I don't think it's too late. Uh, I think to some extent, the ETs may be using scare tactics to really get us, kick us into high gear to take action. Uh, I'm pretty hopeful about the outcome of all this. I feel like ETs might actually step in and relocate people if they have to, because we've seen that. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, our governments uh, are not taking the right steps. Uh, we need a revolution. Uh, I think if we don't act soon, there's going to be a point of no return. But ultimately, say the population is reduced by 90%. Uh, that's, that's terrible, of course, but I don't think humanity will go extinct. Right. And even if, say, this planet does blow up completely or becomes unlivable, UFOs have been collecting our genetic material for, and as far as we know, solidly for since 1950, but probably millennia. Right. So, no, humanity will never go extinct because uh, we are living on ufos and on other planets already yeah so however this all rolls out i'm hoping that uh what happens will be open official disclosure uh like uh steve bassett says mm -hmm. which kicks us into a whole new mindset which uh makes us all come together and i think if disclosure does happen i think we're gonna have open official contact right on the heels that's what that's he says. Another, right? I think that's exactly what's going to happen. And that's going to really change everything. And we can start using the technology, which we already have, to clean up our oceans. We don't need nuclear power. We've got the free energy. Yeah. And there's all kinds of really wonderful people within the younger generations who are finding all these really neat ways to clean up our oceans and to stop using you know, harmful materials. So I think we can do it. I think we can, but we just, we're going to have to come together and really take the subject more seriously. Mm -hmm. well, that's good news. I, I would like to, I'm, I kind of feel at home on earth. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I like this planet. It's beautiful. It's a, such a beautiful planet and it's got such a diverse array of life forms. Yeah. Uh, but I think, all I know is for a fact, ETs are collecting all, all the plants and all the animals too. Mm -hmm. um, one lady talked about how, you know, the recent Australian wildfires, which killed supposedly millions of koalas. Well, she uh, found out that koalas were being taken on board in large numbers. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I looked into this. I did a whole video on this on my YouTube channel, uh, Alien Zoos. <laughs> or extraterrestrial gardeners. They are collecting all types of animals, rabbits, cows, horses, elephants, you name it. It's been seen on board a UFO. One lady I interviewed, she saw dolphins on board a UFO. Uh -huh. 
I'm like, you're kidding. She's like, no, for, for real. I saw dolphins in tanks. I'm like, wow. A lot of people have seen forests. On so board it was like a, an extraterrestrial Noah's Ark. Exactly. Exactly. And some people see not only earth animals, but animals from other planets. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is a pretty exciting time to live. Uh, and I think that we're really blessed. And I think this is why we're seeing UFOs in such large numbers is because we're reaching a point where we could self-destruct and that they're doing all they can to uh, take us away from that path. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. We will see. We will see. Hopefully it's good, though. I'm hoping for the best. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So where can my listeners find you and find your books? Uh, Yeah, I appreciate that. I do have a website. It's prestondennett.weebly.com. I think if you Google my name, it should just take you right there. But all my books are there, excerpts. You can also contact me through my website. Books are available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and other online retailers or bookstores if you can find a bookstore. Jeez, they're all closing down these days. Yeah, we we have one, I think. (laughs) Yeah, there's one here where I live in uh, outside L.A., San Fernando Valley. Uh, But not many. (laughs) But yeah, I also have a uh, YouTube channel. I'm putting out a lot of my research on video because some people just don't like to read. So I'm putting out audible books as well. Uh I'm really trying to get the word out. I think this is a very important subject. I don't think the UFOs are going to go away. Uh, No. (laughs) All right. So so I'm going to post a link to your website and to your books on Amazon. Uh, in the notes to this episode, so my listeners can uh, check you out and read some of your books and watch your YouTube stuff. Uh, also, yeah, thanks, thanks very much. Yeah, everything imaginable is gonna happen to us. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It will. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks for being on today. Hey, my pleasure. It's an honor. All right. Yeah. Until next month. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hang on one second. I was going to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.